Uh, we're going to, this month, uh, we're going to talk about the offering system and how it relates to today. So a little background here, set things up. Uh, the Old Testament filled with all kinds of offering. We know that at the time of Jesus, offering was a regular part of life. You would bring um, portions of, of your crops or um, animals for all different kinds of reasons. And, and you would either give those things away to those in need or mutilate an animal, kill an animal um, on, a, on a, an altar or leave um, and burn uh, crops and things on an altar. And that was considered giving something to God, almost like you're putting it in a hot air balloon and you know, sending it up to God. That was how people gave. Um, now, uh, since the time of Jesus, we don't, it's, it's not common practice for followers of, of God. Like God doesn't want us killing animals on an altar anymore for him, unless it's a cat. We know that's fine. Not because God wants that sacrifice. He just doesn't like cats. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, because, well, you know what? I don't have time to go into my cat thing. I have, a, like, a cat thing that I'm sure you'd all love to hear. But anyway, so um, what, what we know is that, like, uh, Jesus came to put an end to that kind of sacrificial thing. So I'm going to read real quick. Um, this is Hebrews 10. He does away with the first, and these are my little brackets, okay? Ancient sacrificial system is the first. In order to establish the second, Jesus, the final sacrifice, and by that, uh, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So in other words, if, if those sacrifices made us right with God before the time of Jesus... Um, Jesus was the final sacrifice. That was all just to show us that Jesus was offering himself to make us right with God. But there's still this give and take thing of in the, in the ancient offering system that Jesus lived among, uh, there was this idea of people taking stuff to God as a gift. And there's a lot that we can learn from, and that's what we're talking about. And, and I think that this kind of stuff, practically speaking, can make a big difference in a lot of the mundane things in life. Um, so, so last week we talked about our resources that we have, being time, talent, and treasure. Uh, our, our time and energy, um, our, our skills, and our money, and stuff. And like that's our stuff that we have to give, and then finding ways, meaningfully, to offer all of those things up to God. Now this morning we're going to focus in on the treasure part of that, the money part of that. And, and so there's a million disclaimers, because I hate talking about money at church. Even though it's like, I, I think some of the best ways that we can enjoy God is, is by being generous. Here's the thing. I just, I, there's another YouTube clip out of a, of a, of a pastor who, who um, um, he justifies pastors having private jets. There will be no offering for a G6 airplane today. And it's just, you know, it, it's stuff like that that I know is so, ugh, it just doesn't. And, and maybe that's their thing, but it, it just doesn't feel right to me. And, and, and money's so emotional, and, and it's often abused in, 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 in church and nonprofits and things like that. So it's a mess. Yet the Bible has these principles. And when I see people uh, live according to principles of generosity, um, Things go well. 
And so that makes it, that makes it important. So uh, just a couple disclaimers. First of all, I want you to know, if, if you're new to Polaris and whenever I talk about money, I can be sure that there are first-timers because that's just the way it works. Um, I, I want you to know that we don't talk about finances very much as a church, and I think you can ask anybody that's been here a long time. I mean, it, you know, maybe once a year. Um, and I also want you to know that I will never tell you, give your money to Polaris because uh, I don't know where God wants. I, I know God wants us all to be generous and to have, care about things and people and causes, but I have no idea where God's going to call you to be generous towards. So this isn't a sermon saying, hey, give more to Polaris. You are a, a shockingly generous church, and I, and I mean that. Like even last week with time, I, I got up here and I said, we need children's volunteers, and guess what? We got an infusion of children's volunteers. It was incredible. And any time there's some kind of a need out there and we call financially or otherwise, it's always like, bam. So already generous. That's not what this is about. I also want you to know that, that this, this, it is painful for me to talk about this. I'm not even quite sure why, but it, but it comes out of a of, of a concern. This isn't a judgment thing. You could come out, you could go out in the, in the lobby after church and say, you know what, I'm never giving a dime to God or anything that he cares about. And I'd say, okay, okay. Um, that's a weird thing to say, but, but okay, I, I'm not thinking any less of you because of that, and, and, and I mean it. This comes out of concern. So like if you were in a plane and you strapped on something to jump out of the plane and it looked like a backpack to me, I don't think you're dumb. I don't care that you're doing something wrong. I just, I'm concerned that you're jumping out in a backpack and not a parachute. I'd probably say I don't think SpongeBob makes parachutes because I'm concerned. So when I talk about this stuff, it's concern. It's not that I think that I'm any better or that you're any worse or anything like that. All right, so... Um, Here's how it's going to go down today. I'm a real creative with this. Money thing number one and money thing number two. And then we're going to bring up somebody that I respect, the expert, uh, to talk about how to, to incorporate some of this stuff in life. All right. So money thing number one. Here we go. And I don't think there's anything in this part that anybody can really even disagree with. Money thing number one. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. A lot of times people think the Bible says money's the root of all evil, or that somehow that's, yeah. So, um, here's where it comes from. <clears throat> First Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's a powerful little bumper sticker, isn't it? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. How true is that? But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich. It's interesting that we're talking about this when there's like a bazillion dollar lottery. It wasn't timed up that way. It just. Um, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You agree with that statement? I, I think that the world plays that out a lot, where money ends up many times, not always, but many times money can ruin people. For the love of money, the love of money, 
is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it turns out, spiritually speaking, that the notorious big and puff daddy were right. The more money you come across, the more problems you'll see. Money is not the problem. It's the love of money. It's how it can change our attitude. It's when our heart gets messed up around money. So the love of money, not money itself, is the problem. If I were to break that down a little bit, why is money such a problem? I would say that one of the things that I see is that in Scripture... There are two sins that if you were to force rank sins, there are two that God seems to put extra high, top of the list, ultra super dangerous to your soul. The first one is pride, and the second one is lack of concern for those in need or unconcerned. So we have pride and apathy toward the poor or toward those in need. Pride and apathy. Two super dangerous sins for our heart. Now, it's interesting that like contemporary Christian leadership doesn't yell very loud these days about those two things. They got other things that they yell about, but biblically speaking, those are the two most dangerous. So, uh, this is from Ezekiel 16. I'm familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah. I think many most people even secular don't know much about the Bible know that Sodom and Gomorrah were the two cities that God destroyed with fire, okay? So, now this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, pride. Overfed and unconcerned. Didn't help the poor and needy. They were haughty, pride, And did detestable things before me. Therefore I did away with them as you have seen. Now God rarely institutes or implements that level of judgment. Like like Sodom and Gomorrah parking lots. Woke up in the morning. There were two thriving cities. Smoking hole in the ground in the afternoon. And God said, I did that because they were arrogant and unconcerned. When it comes to money, money has the ability to make us feel like we're better than others. And it has the ability to get us focused on ourselves and not thinking about those in need. To get us kind of hoarding more. Got to have more. How often do we see that when, when, when someone gets a little bit of money and all of a sudden it's like this all-consuming... That's why I watch families torn apart by inheritance struggles. Money just has this dangerous ability. doesn't always happen because there are uh, some of the more wealthy people that I know, and I don't know a lot of like really, really rich people aside from the BBs. You may be like the one family that I know of with enormous amounts of wealth. It's how I cope with a difficult topic. I'm, it's, it's, um, some of the most generous people I know, like they use their money, faithful to God's principles, they have wealth, and they are very, very generous. But sometimes it does the opposite, and it nurtures pride 
and lack of concern. And so we have to be aware of the power of money to do that. It can also keep us from feeling like we need God. And I think this is one of the greater concerns with wealth. Reliance on God is a huge part of spiritual growth in the Bible. It's a huge part of a growing friendship with God is relying on him and then have him meet, having him meet our needs in ways that we don't expect. It's a huge part of growing and stretching. We don't need to grow when we don't have any needs. And we can also get so focused on getting money and maintaining our stuff, so focused on that that we just let the rest of life, like we're not investing in friendships, we're not investing in children, we're not being Jesus out there, we're not including Jesus because we're just busy worrying about being okay. So here's what Jesus says in Luke 12, and this is a lot easier said than done. Jesus says, and and this is one for me, I I have to just picture Jesus kind of sitting across from me, and and I'd take it in different. So picture Jesus, it's Jesus and it's you, and like he's saying this to you. And I'll picture him saying this to me. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Jesus says, don't worry about it. For the pagan world, people far from God run after these things. Your Father knows what you need. But seek first His kingdom, seek the lifestyle of God, and all this stuff will be taken care of. Don't be afraid. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. His lifestyle. God gave you his lifestyle. How could you worry about anything else? Then he looks at you. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves and wallets for yourselves that will never wear out. Treasure in heaven that will never fail. No thief is going to come near it. No moth can destroy it. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. He gets up and he walks out. How would that change you? Simple five-second conversation from Jesus that says those things. See, maybe we can, uh, maybe when we never need to rely on God for anything, really. And that's really kind of the underlying dream or the underlying goal of the American dream when you think about it. I'm completely secure and protected through my own devices. Maybe we're actually creating a stale and dangerous environment for our spiritual growth. I don't know how to balance all that. I really don't. Because I don't think that God is necessarily against the 401k, but I also know that once we've achieved total security, we've probably taken a step towards spiritual stagnancy. Money can also buy things that medicates our pain. Like if we can buy that thing or go to that place, have that thing to always look forward to, that can sometimes be our medication when otherwise God would want to be that for us. And that's when I think money can become our God. Innocent enough, we just always have the next thing and always can buy the next thing. And that, we start to look to that. 
as medication to numb the things that are stressing us or hurting us. And then God's kind of second chair. So I, I read this book over, over Christmas um, called The Liberation of Christmas. And it's a, it's a book, it's a scholarly, like, real thick book. Um, not, not thick like that, but just like meaty. And, and it's, a, it's a scholarly um, covering of the socio-political economic situation of the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus. Doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> this book describes basically the political environment, the social environment, the economical environment in the time of Jesus. And, and how, like, when it talks about, when Matthew tells the, the it's called the birth narrative uh, of Jesus, the implications there. Anyway, um, Rome was aggressively taking over the world and implementing what they called the Roman peace, which really meant, you got a problem, I'm going to crucify you. Now we got peace. I mean, it was this brutal, aggressive crimes against humanity everywhere as Rome continued its conquest and maintained peace. So they've uncovered these, these documents and things, uh, communication, like the Senate, the government, Caesar, okay, basically saying what's really important is that we keep the core of Rome engaged in what they called bread and circus we need to provide bread and circus for these people so that we can do these other things. Meaning this, if we can keep the community fed and entertained, we will literally be able to get away with murder. Money can do that in our lives. And, and it does it in my life where I, I think Satan knows if he can keep me fed and entertained, I am all too content to ignore a lot of the things around me that I have the power to speak into or, or do something about, because, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm secure, I'm happy, I'm, I'm eating shrimp, and, you know, whatever I happen to be doing, reading Liberation of Christmas, and then my entertainment. Um, if God can keep us fed and entertained, or if, if Satan can keep us fed and entertained, he keeps us out of God's will for our life. And money has the power to do that. Okay, so those are, are some of the... Thing number one, money's not the root of all evil, but the love of money is, and those are the reasons why. Now, let's move on to thing number two about money. And this is the one that, that could sting a little bit. Okay, so this is the, here's the best way I know how to describe it. I don't love to swim, um, but I know a lot of people who do. And when I do swim, like with my kids, it, it goes something like this. Okay, first step down in, and the water's up to here, and it's like... <sighs> cold. That's why I don't like to swim. It's like there's that acclimation process. Is it really worth it? But I know that a lot of people love it and it's worth it. So they take a step down. Then they take another step down. And, uh, but the problem, the problem area is like this. Right? It, that, that's the problem. I can live up to here and then it's like, but then you just you gotta uh. so this is that. Okay? I believe that when we can honor God with our finances, that's where the real action is. And, and if I'm lying to you in any way or manipulating you in any way, then may God deal with me ever so severely. I, I just I believe that that's where the action is, honoring God fully with our generosity. But to get there, okay, this is the jump in the cold water. Here's what God says. There's this system called the tithe which means 10%, giving 10% off the very top 
toward causes that matter to God, toward generosity, toward those in need. That's God's system for combating the allure of money. Here's what he says in Malachi 3. You rob me. So picture God looking at his followers and he says, you rob me. And they say, I've never taken anything from you. What do you mean we rob you? How are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Some of those amazing sentences in Scripture right here. Test me in this. God virtually never invites us to test him. That's usually a bad thing. But here he says, test me in this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your fields aren't going to drop their fruit early before it's ripe. All the nations, everyone around, will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So a tithe is 10%. And there are many places in Scripture where God says the baseline standard for generosity is 10% of everything we make. In the Old Testament, farmers were required to not harvest the, the margins of their fields so that those in need, and that's the spirit of this, it's not like God needs money, those in need would have a place to go to get food because they did not harvest. They didn't use everything. They didn't consume everything. There was a portion always reserved for things that mattered to God like the poor. Now this is really harsh language. You rob me. (coughs) A couple weeks ago, um, somebody broke in to our church. It's a true story. And stole our petty cash. Um, when I tell people that, or when people hear about that, the first thing they say is, how could somebody steal from a church? And that's often our first, man, that's, that's pretty low. But here's, here, and this, this is, okay, this is, this is rough. According to Malachi, if we rob God when we're not generously giving away 10%, studies Stats show that of the people who say my faith is important to me in Jesus, I'm a Christian and it's important to me, 75% will also say I don't give at least 10% to the causes of God, which according to Malachi 3, robbing God. So 75% of everyone who says I'm a Christian According to Malachi 3, robs God. And, and here's the deal. We would never, I mean, we would never break in and steal from petty cash. We would never pay our Netflix by robbing the neighbor kid's bike and selling it for money to, you know, here's 15 bucks, I need to pay my Netflix for the month. <laughs> but we rob God, and I think a lot of it just, just don't realize Now, there are a couple types of people that this is going to hurt. 
And I just want to talk this through for a minute. Um, some of you, I, I know that there, like I talked to single moms or, or families that have been through some difficult medical stuff, out of work maybe, uh, maybe you don't, not in agreement as a spouse with where, and, and it's like, oh man, I, I want to, I, I just, I feel like we can't right now. And, and, and maybe you're in a place where God is saying, um, you know what, let's let the church take care of you. I talked to some families as pastors, like, I'm tired of receiving generosity. I want to give, I just don't have anything. Maybe God is more concerned about the family of God taking care of you than squeezing out of you. I'm not saying write this stuff off. That's between you and God. I'm just saying, I know that there are some of you that are, man, I wish I could do that. I just... But then there's another group of people. I have a friend, and, and, and I, I don't think any less of him. Again, I promise you, you could come up to me afterwards and say, heard it all, not going to give a dime to anybody that... I don't think any less of you, don't think any less of him. It's just that concern thing of, you know, you're jumping out of that plane with a SpongeBob uh, backpack. Um, we, were in a com- we were in a large group discussion about tithing, and he looked at me and he said... We can't. It was that, like that, you know, the Surrender Cobra on, on Sports Center. It was like that. We, we, we can't. And he believed, I mean, but in his situation, quarter million dollar house on a cul de sac, fifty dollars to $60,000 truck, second car was a Cadillac, newly renovated basement with an ornate pool table, and a growing collection of high end sports memorabilia. True, we, we can't. And, and that's the, I, I know, man, 10%, I, I always say that, that's a luxury car. For most American families, that's the equivalent of a luxury car. And I know it's a, it's, it's a big deal. To, but before we say and feel we can't, just, just be sure that you've really looked and, and you've looked at the implications of all this and you've prayed about it. Um, Okay, so that's the Old Testament. Let me read to you the teachings of Jesus real quick, and then we'll... we'll, we'll come on up, Phil. Phil's our expert, by the way. <laughs> oh, Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. These are the words of Jesus. You hypocrites... You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. I love this. You tie the spices on your spice rack. You got that down. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, mercy, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So here's Jesus. You guys, you know, are dividing up flour from your pantry and taking it in as one-tenth. But you don't care about people. You missed it. So we can't write a check and, and just feel like, hey, man, look, look at me. I'm awesome. But we also can't just care about people and not be generous with our stuff. Jesus says you do both. If we follow Jesus, we do both. That's the word of God. So some of you might be here saying, okay, and some of you are probably hearing this like for the first time. Uh, what do I do? I mean, I, I, I know I see the difference between it's not like I have an extra 10% a month sitting there ready to, to write a check. I would if I could, but I can't. What do I do? 
So Phil, and, and I joke around a lot, Phil's actually a really close friend and really respect uh, who he is in a lot of different fields, um, um, can do anything with mechanics, um, great at finances, tricking fancy roper, and blows glass. Um, I really respect Phil's ability in the financial realm. Kelly and I, my wife, go to him for a lot of things. So I just talked through some of you saying, okay, yes, but how? So let's start out, Phil, with okay. um, um, just some of your training and why we should listen to you. Okay, here's why. Uh, I'm Phil Beck. So maybe you guys don't know me. I am married to that lady right down there, Leanne. I have two kids, Maddie and Matthew. And I'm an airplane mechanic. Um, I don't, I'm not a financial guy. I don't do investments. I'm not, I don't have the licensing for that kind of stuff. That's not what I do. What I do do, however, though, is actually meet with individuals and families and talk about uh, budgeting issues or how to do financial plans for people just to run their household. That's kind of, in effect, what it is. Been doing it for about 25 years. Probably have been with 50 or 75 different families over that period of time. It tends to run in spurts when the economy gets bad. Tend to see more people when things not. Don't intend to see it. So that's the thing. Training. Training. Uh, Christian financial concepts used to be the thing. Now it's called Crown Financial Ministries. Like that's the authority for being able to uh, talk about finances in the Christian realm. Um, was trained through them and also through Willow Creek and their Good Sense Ministry. So I kind of, it's like an ongoing thing for me to say that it's my passion is probably pretty true. And those are not like church basement kind of train. I mean, that's, that's the, the, considered the standard in the Christian world for financial counseling. So, any thoughts on what you just heard up yeah. from up front? Anything you disagree with, wholeheartedly no, agree with, any of that? Nothing I disagree with at all. What you've presented up there is, is just exactly it's true. Um, have encouraged people throughout my whole financial counseling career to, to take those steps of faith, to actually do, go out and do it. Um, always quote Malachi 3, Alex Poindexter doesn't make the promise. The elders at this church don't make the promise. I don't make the promise. The promise is God's. If you do this, you will be blessed, plain and simple. And, and I would say, and I really, I can't overstate this, even though it seems like I am. I, there is nothing in this world that points to more evidence for the existence of God than his faithfulness to that principle. If you honor him in that way, he responds with it. It's on, and I have never had the person, if, if, if you have tried to tithe and haven't seen that, come up to me afterwards and tell me about it because I don't want to spread this stuff if it ain't working. I say it because it's working and I have never known a person who has said, you know, that was a big mistake. Um, we've really gone downhill since we started to honor God financially. I, it is only the opposite. We've seen this and this and this and this. It reads like a book. That's true. It's very true. <clears throat> okay. Um, common mistakes that you see. So probably a couple, just hit like maybe two here. So the first thing that I, I guess I tend to see or what, what it's been the biggest problem is, is to do nothing, is to know that things aren't exactly right. They're not, something isn't exactly right in this area. And somehow tomorrow, next month, next year, it's all going to get better. And I'm not going to have to do anything to change that. That can tend to be one of the things is, is to just uh, to do nothing. The second thing is probably, if you take that a little bit further, is to say, if I just made a little bit more money, if maybe I got that second job, if 
uh, you know, if I could just get a little bit more, I'd have a little bit more money at the end of the month, and I'd be able to give and to do all the things that I want to do. That there really is no answer there either. That that's really not the truth. Making more money isn't going to solve the problem. It's doing the things that you're supposed to do with what you have right now. Just a little mantra: um, in all things, diet, marriage, finances. What got you here won't get you there. So really, you're right. right. When you when you're when you're sitting here and looking. Rarely can you say, if we just give this more time, do things exactly the way we are, it'll fix it. It just doesn't, it right, doesn't, doesn't. work that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, best practices. What could people leave here? And like, if you, what could I do right now? Okay. Right now. So <clears throat> a couple of things is probably one very practical thing that probably everybody can do is if this is, if this is an area where you want to come nearer to the heart of God is to start giving something. Whatever it is, whatever, if you're paid once a month, you know, every other week, or if you're paid weekly, just begin by writing that check, even if it's as small as five bucks. I don't know that, you know, in, in Brunswick and Medina County that we're dealing with abject poverty, but if you're out there working, I can't see how, you know, for the cost of a Starbucks that you could not start to make that decision and make that step, make that a part of your habit, and it just, be, you know, becomes a habit. If you start to practice it and start somewhere. And, and that's not to say, I mean, you need to listen to God deep down. What is that cause for you? That is not a plea to, to write a check and put it in our offering plate. That's saying you need to, here's the amount, God, what, what can I do with it, right? right? That's Agreed? exactly right. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. And then was there a follow-up to that? Did I cut you off? No. That? Okay. No. Um, I remember there was a, there was a, particular case and I'm not often in I'm, I'm rarely in on like whatever Phil's doing with anybody um, but there was one person an individual that we were kind of working with together on on uh, a plan and and Phil had said to me I don't see a case very often where I can't find a quick hundred dollars that's right um, so explain what what that means yeah I, I and what I said that was just you know for most people you know, in today's day and age, to, to be able to look at a, at a budget and not be able to cut somewhere, you know, or be able to look at it differently, a hundred bucks. I think sometimes we get convinced in our head that all these things are off limits and that they're all fixed. And it's somehow that, you know, that's off limits and that's off limits. And all I've got really to work with is this small thing right here. What I would say to you is just, I would say, you know, look at it from a different perspective. Have somebody come in and look at it from a different perspective. You know, maybe there's something that you can that you can do without that you actually thought that you had to have. And what I've come to find out is is that when you start to do those things, when you start to look at that at your finances from that mindset, you start to see the things where you're like, "Well, I was I was I've been doing that. Well, that's pretty stupid. I, I, why was I even doing that? Why was I spending that kind of money? Be it shopping your car or house insurance or doing any any other kinds of things, whatever kind of thing it is. I can usually we can usually figure it out. Okay. Um, one last thing. Uh, you got this thing coming up. Pitch that thing. So we got this thing with these guys. Um, so on January 24th, we're going to start a class. It's going to be from 6 to 8 p.m. It's uh, called Mind, Finan- Managing Your Money God's Way. You're making this up as I, you go. I'm I... just riffing right here. No, Managing Your Money God's Way. The book is 15 bucks. It's from 6 to 8 p.m. We will have child care. And we're going to walk through on 7 Sunday evenings of how to deal with, I mean, let's be honest with it, right? So if you have an issue with finances, pretty much the issue is not math, right? So 
you, if you can do second grade math, you can figure out how to balance a checkbook and you can do all that stuff. That's really not what this is about. It's more about dealing with the hard issues and get, offering different perspectives on how to look at money and, and looking at it from, from God's perspective is what we're going to try and teach. Um, we are not going to meet. If anybody's out there thinking, don't get ahead of me here, we're not going to meet on Super Bowl Sunday night. We're not that, you know, we want to make sure that I... But... You got to protect what's sacred. Yeah, right, exactly. But I, what, I would say, what I would say is this, just the last final thing in closing, Alex, is that, is that if, you know, if you know that this is an area where you know something's not right, and I know from having sat across the table from enough married couples that this can be a stressor to the point of causing deep and huge marriage problems. One of the leading causes of divorce. Yep. Money. They say that 56%, now it's up to 56% of people who get married get divorced. Of those 56%, 80% of those have to do with money. Okay? That's a big deal. It's a big deal. We're not getting it right somewhere. What I would say to you is, whatever the issue is, if it's, if it's embarrassment, if it's pride, if it's whatever it is, is to, is, is to set that aside Give God a chance to, to, to work in that area because I have seen it, and I can tell you doing you know, 25 years of this stuff, that if you do it, it works. And we've, you know, to bring it under his control is just how it should be, and you will see a difference in a lot of different areas, but in your marriage and being able to sleep at night and, and, to, and have peace and to know what that looks like. So that's it. Just to have a plan. Just to have the plan, and that's what this is about. You will, at the end of the seven, at the end of the seven weeks, you will have a plan specifically tailored for you to follow and to start. Okay. So next, thank you. Um, Next, and if somebody wants to, did you say if somebody wants to do this? I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. You can also hit the website. You can talk to myself. Those of you who know Sarah Luck, I don't think she's in here. I think she's in Children's now, but see us. Come up, talk to me. We'll get you set up. Next week, we're going to talk about um, seeing your job or managing your home um, as an offering. So you hate your job. Hopefully next week uh, you can leave with an attitude of how can I, how can I do something to make a workday meaningful? How can it be my offering to God? I want to read one more verse and then come on up. We're going to, we're going to end this old school. So I'm going to read this verse here. Proverbs 3. <clears throat> Sorry. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is really a trust issue. And, and it's a heart issue. And so as we let all this kind of marinate and ask God, okay, what do you want me to do? We're going old school here. Uh, This is a hymn. If you grew up in church, uh, this is a hymn that maybe you're familiar with growing up. We don't do things like that here very often, but incredibly meaningful calls us back to some very simple truth. So I want to invite you to stand uh, for one last song and just kind of ask God, I'm going to pray. And, and, and yeah, I'm just going to pray. Um, God, thank you for all that we have. It's all a gift from you. And, 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 and your word tells us that, that this money thing can be so dangerous. And, and I know and, and 
I've seen it wreck a lot of lives. I can't imagine the, the countless lives that you've seen, seeing the hearts of, of, of men and women and, and, and teens and children and what money can do from even a very young age. So we invite you with open hands to speak to our hearts and give us strength to trust you. We want to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.